mean, I did an interview on NPR actually the other day and it was like, why are you talking about your stuff? And I'm talking about my stuff because we all got stuff. And because I'm saying wherever you are, I was there. And I'm going to introduce you to people who might be where you are, but frankly, are probably a lot worse. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Be More Well with me, Jeff Savier. This is episode 18 with author Bruce Feiler. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen. Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast where I speak with both physical and mental health professionals, athletes, coaches, musicians, trainers, and most importantly, people just like you and I. My mission is to bring you stories from people about how they found their path to wellness, as well as information and inspiration from experts in the field. I sincerely hope that you're able to find some inspiration from the stories that you hear on Be More Well week after week. In kind of an accidental way, I've sort of found myself in a three-part series on the podcast. Now, on the last episode, if you remember, episode 17, I spoke with Doug Holliday about his new book called Rethinking Success. Our conversation centered around the traditional ideas of what success means and how we need to rethink those. You can check out the episode to learn more, but to summarize, Doug talks about how he spoke with people that own massive companies and are worth millions upon millions of dollars but they're still miserable in life because they had to sacrifice so much happiness to achieve this idea of success. So Doug suggests that success can mean many different things and we need to open our eyes to that. But rethinking success could also mean making big changes in life and that can be stressful for people. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about dealing with those life transitions. Let's think about this for just a minute. I don't know about you, but I was brought up in a world where stability was put at a premium. Adults, when I was growing up, mostly boomers, were more concerned about stability than taking chances to find happiness. My friend's parents were fine with staying at a crappy job that they hated because it meant they could continue to get that steady paycheck and life would be just fine. It was that fear of change that kept people in bad situations. But life throws you curveballs, and maybe it's time to embrace them. What's to say that transitioning to another path in life is bad? Maybe it could be the best decision we've ever made. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my life being unhappy just because I'm afraid to take a chance. And chances don't always come without consequences. We know that, but there is a way to handle them. Author Bruce Feiler has found himself facing a few major transitions in his own life over the past few years, and that's what inspired him to dive into the subject with his new book, Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. Bruce spent five years of his life talking to people about their lives and the path they took to get to where they are now. This book is almost a how-to manual of sorts to navigate some of life's biggest transitions. And given that we're all currently in a pretty big transitional moment in the world's history, this book could not have come at a better time. Now, before we dive into the interview with Bruce, I just want to take a second to ask you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever. Please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. Also, please feel free to leave a rating and comment. Those really help the podcast powers that be notice that people are listening and it could help others to find Be More Well. Hello. Hey, Bruce, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for taking some time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're talking with Bruce Feiler, the author of Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. Uh, it would seem that now is a perfect time for a book like this to come out because I think a lot of people are shifting the way they look at life in many different ways, right? <laughs> well, we're chuckling and maybe that's not exactly the right response. But yes, we are in what in this book I, I call a life quake, right? Which is one yeah. of these massive changes that is kind of higher on the Richter scale of consequences and the impact and aftershocks last for years. And, and I got interested in these periods because I went through that, right? mm. because a few years ago, I just got walloped by life. I got cancer, I almost went bankrupt. 
my father tried to take his own life. And there really wasn't a book for how to navigate these times when life comes at you from all directions. And so I said, there must be some wisdom out there. And so I set out on this journey, crisscrossing the country, collecting what became hundreds of life stories, all 50 states, people who lost limbs, lost homes. I talked to a two-time cancer survivor who climbed Mount Everest, mm. military veterans who had literally limbs shot off in Iraq and Afghanistan. I ended up with 6,000 pages of transcripts and I got a team of 12 people and we combed through them trying to identify themes and takeaways and tools that could help all of us in these times of change. And I've been doing this for five years and then Lo and behold, this book comes out at a moment when the entire planet is in a life quake at the same time. Uh, five years too. I mean, how is it? How difficult is it to think like, well, I have an idea, but it might not come for five years. Like, I just find it amazing that you've been working on this for so long, and it's a really great piece of work. But uh, how many different forms has it taken over the last five a lot. years? And that, that's exactly what happened was because I got stuck. <laughs> I mean, in, in some ways, it's funny because one of the signature findings of this whole study is that these life transitions become are coming at us much more frequently, right? So kind of the big idea in this book, as you know, is that the linear life is dead. Yeah. The idea that we're going to have one job, one home, one relationship, one source of happiness from adolescence to assisted living, like that's gone. And that's how, like, at least I grew up with, you know, science and technology is going to get us all better. You'll have a midlife crisis at 39 and a half. Other than that, life is a fairy. This is all bunk. Like we live these nonlinear lives that involve many more twists and turns. And each one of those twists and turns leads us to a life transition, right? So the signature finding in some ways is that these life transitions take on average five years. Oh. So if you think three, five times in our lives, we go through them, which is what my data show, they take three, four, five years. That's half of our adult lives. We are in transition. And my book, Life is in the Transitions, has the first new model for how to navigate these times in 40 years. But what did you just say? This took me five years. And in those <laughs> five years, I did, it turns out, all of those stages, which I later identified, including getting completely lost getting stuck, like not knowing what to do. So I feel like this book on transitions has been a transition. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're actually a living, working model of what you were putting oh, yay, in the book. Right. <laughs> and plus that's on top of the cancer and the bankruptcy sure. and my dad's suicide. So in, in a lot of ways, that's actually kind of what I'm saying to people. My wife, I wrote a book a few years ago called Secrets of Happy Families. And my wife and I have identical girls and I started it when they were about five, they're now 15. And my wife said to me at the beginning, something that re resonates with this new book, which is, you know, don't, don't bring me theory. Like, don't bring me something you read in the book or like your idea of what we should do. Bring me actual people who do actual things. Mm -hmm. And then I'm willing to try it. And that's what this book has. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm introducing you to other people who've either been in your situation or frankly, a lot worse and who got through it. And I'm going to show you what they did. And there's just no chance you're not going to find an idea that you can do tonight and one you can do this weekend and one you can do two weeks from now or two months from now when you get stuck as, as we all do from time to time. I think before we dive into some of the uh, the really hard content of the book, I, I want to say I appreciate that you did talk to just everyday people, people of all different walks of life. And those are the stories you share in the book, Life is in the Transitions, because, you know, we all have social media now, right? So I can go online and I can look at, you know, some celebrity with 32 million followers or whatever and hear them talk about the different transitions they made. But those people seem sort of 
in the atmosphere, right? They seem on a right. different planet to us, but you're talking to normal people that experience maybe a hardship or just thought, hey, I want to do something different with life. And those are the things that to me become so much more inspiring because I'm like, wow, these normal people are doing it. They're doing it right there in front of us. I talked to a woman who hated school growing up, used to pretend to get sick at the bus stop at kindergarten. She didn't have to go. Never read a book, never studied. Lo and behold, she got pregnant the year before her senior year in high school in South Georgia. Um, her husband dropped out of college, went to work at Kentucky Fried Chicken. She dropped out, got a paper route. They had three kids in the next eight years. He then got sick, tumbling them into debt. They were like at the end of the road of the American dream. And one day she goes to a public library for toddler time. Her kid toddles off for, for, for playtime and she reaches over and grabs the first book she finds, which is Wuthering Heights. It takes her to, uh, twice to read it, to understand it. And she keeps going back and pulling books off and she reads them one at a time. And she says, you know what? This may be the answer. So when she drops her youngest off at uh, uh, preschool, she goes and enrolls in college. She, she cries between classes. I'm a dropout, like who am I? Mm -hmm. um, she gets a degree in respiratory therapy. She goes on to get a master's degree and I'm almost like you can maybe even guess where the story is going. Uh, she goes and she gets a doctorate. She goes from GED to PhD. And in the process, what does she do now? She advises non-traditional students on how to live their life and saying that the, the fan, I didn't have the fairy tale, but I have these children and this new life. I have story, I have people who got, who got sober, people who lost their children and reclaimed them back, people who had their face shot off in the by the Taliban in Afghanistan on the brink of suicide, who used creativity to build themselves anew. Incredible real life stories that'll make you really happy <laughs> that you don't have some of the problems that they have and are gonna make whatever you're struggling with a lot easier to deal with. Well, two words that you use in the book, and these are two that really fascinate me, and I've had a lot of discussions about these over the last few years in particular, but linear and nonlinear. And I oh. feel like even in my generation, I'm turning 40 next year, there are so many people that still look at that linear idea of life of, all right, I got to go to college. After college, I got to get the job. After the job, I got to find the girl. I got to get married. Got to have the kids. Got to have that. Like everything is a stepping stone to the next thing in life. And I'm always like, is that real? Is that what's making you? I mean, if it's making you happy, great. But life doesn't need to be in those steps. I mean, you can take different routes to get to where you want to go. And I've always been fascinated by people's obsession with this linear idea of life. So this this to me was the big trap door that I walked through one day, which is I just I, I almost can't even remember how it happened to me. But I realized that every culture kind of has a paradigmatic shape. So in the ancient world, they didn't have linear time. So they thought that life was a cycle, right? To every season, turn, turn, turn. In the Middle Ages, we, they were told that life peaks at middle age. Uh, in the Middle Ages, they were told life peaks at middle age and then it's downhill from there. So no new life at 40 or a new venture at 50 or moving you know, to a new place at 70, like it's downhill. And for the 20th century, we were told and, and that turns out to be the aberration. We were told for about a century that technology and, and you know the conveyor belt, the life is the conveyor belt. So Freud says various stages. Erickson has these eight stages of development, the five stages of grief, the hero's journey. These are all linear constructs. It reaches its peak in the 70s with Gail Sheehy, who says we all have passages. And everyone does the same thing in their 20s and 30s. And then everyone has a midlife crisis at 39 and a half. Like, 
this is just like total bunk. Like, I mean, that, those books said you had to start your midlife crisis at 39 and a half and it must end by 45. <laughs> well, guess what? We're all going through a life transition now. If you're 40 as you are, then you can call it a midlife crisis and putting that in quotes. But if you're 27 and a half, it's just as acute to you. And if you're 67 and a half. So we live nonlinear lives. And these lives take all sorts of twists and turns. And each one of those twists and turns is a life transition. Okay. So, and this, like you, this is now the skill that we most need. There hasn't been a book on this in 40 years because we thought we didn't have them anymore. Our, you know, our phones and a shot and a pill and five minutes of meditation will make every problem go away. Like this is not right. And these transitions are hard. It turns out there are steps and tools and we can get into that, but the linear life is dead. It's been replaced by the nonlinear life and the nonlinear life it involves more transitions. And these are a skill that we can and must master. You kept, uh, you mentioned middle age a couple of times and this, you know, midlife crisis at 39 and a half. And I remember when my dad turned 40 and I was about 10 or 11 years old at the time. And I remember everybody got him a card or a balloon or something. And, and they all made some reference to what you said. Like, it's all downhill from here. Like there's nothing. I remember thinking even at 10 years old, that's so depressing. Like, is that really what happens at, at 40? And I'm like, and here I am turning 40, you know, at about half a year or so. I'm at 39 and a half years old right now. Um, you know, and, and ruining your life. You yeah. should be, you're not going to have the only Look, I think the thing about it is, and this is interesting, Mike, because so you're an exer. Okay, I was born in 1964, which means nominally I'm a boomer, even though that was 20 years after the war. But one of the things that I found in these conversations is that Xers understand this idea of fluidity much more than boomers and millennials even more than Xers. And if you look at the data, it shows that Xer, you know, millennials will have you know 12.7 jobs, 11.2 moves, right? More accidents, more. And there is an interesting sort of trend, what I call a transition gap in a way between the boomers and their children who are millennials because the parents are looking at their 27 year olds and think, wait a minute, you're having a child before you get married yeah. or like you are moving to a new town when you don't even have a job yet or you're quitting your old job before you have your new job. So the pace of change is quickening. And of course, the pandemic has hastened all of that. Sure. Right. Because everybody listening to us either lay in bed last night worrying or got up this morning worrying or is living with somebody who is worrying. Do I have a job? If it's a job, is it a job that I want and brings me meaning? Do I have to quit my job to take care of a family member? Like, do I have a medical problem? And so um, what's happening is, is that this idea of a transition, which we were told we didn't need because we didn't have these problems, it turns out that this is the most essential skill that we all need right now. Do you think that part of the reason why, as the generations get younger, they are more accepting to the idea of transitions? I mean, I, I kind of feel like, life changes a lot faster now than maybe it did 50, 60 years ago. You know what I mean? So I have, what I did was I gathered up. Uh, so, uh, you know, just to take a half a step back. So I did 225 stories, as you know, yeah. it's a thousand hours of interviews and we had 6,000 pages of transcript and I got a dozen millennials as it happened. And we computer science students and poets and writers, and we went through these for a year and we identified every single type of change that people go through. Like uh, I call these a disruptor. Mm -hmm. And it turned out there were 52 different categories. Okay. I call them the deck of disruptors, um, as you know, and it could be a new job, a new relationship. It could be public humiliation that happens in the internet. It could be you know, becoming more religious, becoming less religious, starting, starting a new company, whatever it might be. And 
most of the, we go through three dozen of these in our lives, much faster than prior generations did. Most of them we get through. Like we're pretty good at adapting to change. We, we update our life story. We rally around our friends. We adjust our lives a little bit. But one in 10 of those, three to five, becomes this life quake that we were talking about earlier, a massive change. And one of the interesting things about the life quakes is that sometimes it's the last straw. I just wrote a piece about, about this for Time Magazine. Sometimes it's the last straw, like you were waiting to make a change and this is the moment yeah. that you say, finally, you know what, I got to move um, or I got to leave this marriage. Some of them are a jolt, like just out of the blue. You wake up and think, I need to do this. But often what happens is that they are what I call a pileup, like two or three come together. Like just when you just when you are starting a new job, it turns out that your child has special needs. Or just when you're going to move to a new home, um, you know, grandma gets into an accident. Yeah. So they tend to clump together. There's like two car pileups, three car pileups, even more. And so that's when you feel like, and it's I just said to my wife last night, this book has been out a week. It's just so clearly touching a nerve. It's in the top 20 of Amazon right now. And people, the thing that people are saying is, I got walloped by life. I, I'm going through more than one right now. And so that just seems to be a way, a way that it works. It's pretty fascinating. I remember looking through the disruptors and you kind of broke it into categories. I want to say there were five kind of main categories. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's uh, uh, um, relation, love, relationships, it's work, it's body, that's our health, it's our beliefs and it's identity. And so much of that too, like say beliefs, I, you dive into religion a little bit there too, and, and that has changed so much. Like the view and the perception of religion has changed so much just even over the last you know decade or two, people just view that differently. There, there don't seem to be as many hard and fast rules as you may have seen, you know, 50 years ago, people are experimenting with their beliefs and what they want to really see in their life. Well, I think that that's exactly right. And that's a change. And the yeah. last one of these lists that was even similar to mine was made in the sixties. And there was only one category about beliefs. And I have a lot. And, um, and, the, and the data support this too. Half of Americans, I mean, I've written five books about religion and I, therefore this interests me. Half of Americans will change faith or denominations in the course of their lives, four in 10 Americans are in an interfaith relationship. Mm. So that right there is a little kind of incubator of change where people in relationships are trying to figure out uh, what they believe and what they want to pass on to their children. Do they want to practice? Do they not? That's an incredible fluidity of something that essentially for the last 3000 years was fixed. You used to have to believe, you mentioned your dad, you used to have to believe what your parents believe, even a hundred years ago, yeah. live where your parents live, do what they wanted that you to do, like marry who they wanted you to marry. The good news is we have this freedom to make our lives. The burden is it's a lot more pressure, which I think is why we feel this anxiety. Like you have to change because if your life isn't good, you, you want to fix it. But that's what I'm trying to do here. And life is in the transitions and say, there's ways to do it. Here's some, here's some tools you can start with uh, starting right now. And, and you know, it's not easy for everybody too. I mean, I would look at myself and I don't think I followed the normal linear path to get where I'm at right now. Uh, but even still right now, I, maybe I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with what I'm doing with my career, but my wife is starting a new job. We're expecting a baby at the beginning of the next year. Uh, I'm turning 40 next. There's a lot of things that I'm like, well, is now really the time to change up what I'm doing? There seems like there's so much uncertainty. If I change things up, that's going to send a tidal wave for the rest of the family in our dynamic. But what we're seeing here too is that that seems to be the time when people make these transitions and it really is the better way. 
that's such an interesting observation. And first of all, congratulations on oh, thank you. luck with the pregnancy. And um, I'm going to I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. But you and I are speaking over Zoom, even though people are only hearing our voices. <laughs> and I can see over your left shoulder. Uh, I should never do this, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, I can see over your left shoulder a basket of laundry. Yes. Right. And so that to me is like that's life today. Like you're doing your job, and you're also you know you're folding your laundry at the same time, and like the membrane that used to divide work from family is much more porous because that's one of the sources of change. Three quarters of women now work outside the home and three quarters of dads are now involved in parenting in a way that they never did. That means all of these rules, you're about to go through a period where everything in your life, you're gonna have to reimagine. Yeah because your wife is gonna have commitments. She's starting a new job. It sounds like she's pregnant. This is awesome. Now you have a job. Everything is gonna to have to be renegotiated. This is a period of life transition. Like that is the word for it. And what you do, there's three phases, right? You have to acknowledge the long goodbye. Like we're not going back, okay? And there's a messy middle where you're gonna to have to shed certain routines and start new ones. And then there's a new beginning where you're gonna enter the new phase. You know at which point another kid's going to come along. But so it's a it's a period of constant change that we're in. And even putting a language to it turns out to be incredibly comforting to people. Just saying there are steps, there are phases, you're not alone. I got an email from a reader at 3.36 a.m. Like I've had change after change. I was ashamed and I felt alone. And just reading these stories in your book makes me feel more comfortable and gives me a sense that there are things I can do to, to get through it more effectively. That must feel amazing, right? When you hear back from people that are, are really taking what you've written and spent five years of your life working on and they've found hope, they've found light through your words. Look, I, I feel like I can spend the rest of my life trying to understand why this book that was a long ordeal for me began out of a period of incredible pain. You know, somebody asked me, you know, you, we're, we're, have, we're talking about this and we're talking in a kind of an intimate way and I'm talking about my life and you're talking about your life. That's unfamiliar to a lot of people. I think that's actually one of the great things that kind of this new audio first revolution allows us is to speak directly into people's ears in a way that's intimate and vulnerable because, and someone says to me, well, why are you talking? I, mean, I did an interview on NPR actually the other day and it was like, why are you talking about your stuff? And I'm talking about my stuff because we all got stuff. And because I'm saying wherever you are, I was there. And I'm going to introduce you to people who might be where you are, but frankly, are probably a lot worse. I mean, I talked to this guy, Zach Herrick. He was born black in Kansas City, adopted by a white family. Um, he drifted through his life, ended up in the military, ended up in Afghanistan, had his face shot off by the Taliban. Oh. 31 surgeries between the tip of his nose and the tip of his chin, including having his tongue sewn back on. He was, on the, he was on the brink of suicide. And he said he had to learn to create himself anew. His mother said, hey, start to cook. So he learns to cook. He's like, I make salmon. I'm like the girls <laughs> love it. Um, and then he had to write poetry. And then he told me he started painting. Like he would splatter paint. He said, you know that guy, Jackson Pollock? Like him. And I'm like, Zach, if I talked to your college football, your high school football playing self, right, in Kansas City, you know, and said you were going to paint, he was like, I would thought it was stupid. But I used to, I used to like get out my 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 you know hostility by splat, you know splattering the enemy sure. with bullets, and now I splatter the canvas with paint. And so this is an incredible story of using creativity to make yourself new. He's now retired from the military, starting a solar energy firm, and in in Virginia, and it's like people go through these periods. They're scared. They're alone. It's fearful. It's hard. 
But when you start shedding habits and saying goodbye to that old self, it opens up to this thrilling, thrilling phase of it all, which is beginning to create yourself anew. I love that you do share the stories. I know I said that earlier, but you were just talking about how somebody had asked you like, hey, you're sharing your stuff out there. But I just, yeah. I think that's so important. I think hearing people's stories can open a door in somebody else's life. You know, like I just, I, there's somebody can relate to anything. You know, there's always something out there that someone might be looking for to relate their own story to. And you offer so many in this book, aside from just your own, you offer so many incredible stories. There was one about a, a family that uh, I believe lived in the South and ended up moving up to Oregon and just the way the family shifted oh, uh, in their story. beliefs and everything. It's just, it's amazing to watch this family transition from one step to the next through the story that you would put in the book. Guy's a truck driver. He's got a he, he's got a Santa Claus beard that's like halfway <laughs> to his belly button, and he's and he has three children, and his wife has had trouble getting pregnant, and he says to his boss, uh, "I'm not going to miss my daughter's fifth birthday yeah. party." And they say, "Sorry, you got to go to Georgia." And he said, "I ain't going to Georgia." And and he said, "I'm going to park this truck by the side of this highway and hitchhike back to Alabama." And he um, the boss says, "No, don't do it. Don't do it. Drive back. We'll figure it out by Monday morning." When the boss calls, he quits on the spot. He becomes a nurse, okay? I mean, this guy couldn't be bigger and burlier, and he becomes a nurse. And turns out he's really good yeah. at being a nurse. And then he gets offered a job in Oregon. Like, his mother-in-law is in his business. Like, his daughter has got some identity issues and some sexual orientation issues. And he's like, I'm going to move to Oregon. We all need a new start. So they move to Oregon. Interesting side statistics. 61% of the people that I spoke to move in the course of their transition. Mm. And I don't know about you, but 61% of the conversations I'm in today, people are talking about moving in the middle of this pandemic. Yeah. They moved to Oregon. It's different. He changes ideology. He goes from being a conservative Republican to like advocating for single payer. Like he he um, changes religions. He becomes an he becomes an, one of like the vice president of the Oregon Nurses Association. <laughs> an incredible amount of change in a narrow period of time. This guy. Most of those changes are ones he sought out. That shows that some of these changes are involuntary, but some of them are voluntary ones that we choose to make. Well, Bruce Feiler, you've got a great book on your hands here. I'm glad that you took the five years to put this together. And I think the response that you're getting is just a clear sign of how important this is going to be to so many people. It's called Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. We barely scratched the surface uh, of what's in this book. So anybody listening right now, that if you found some of this interesting, I hope you check it out because there is really uh, just so much amazing stuff in here. But Bruce, thank you for sharing some of your day with us, taking some time. Uh, can people go find any more information about you or this book somewhere? Yeah, if you go to Bruce Filer, you know, any of the social media, I have a Facebook page, obviously Instagram, Twitter, B-R-U-C-E-F-E-I-L-E-R. -E -E the book is Life is in the Transitions, as you've been kind enough to say. And really the kind of what I want to say at the end of this conversation, uh, first of all, you're really good at this. Oh, like I'll, I'll, well, I'll come you. talk to you anytime about any topic. And I, and, and your listeners obviously know that, but what I want to say is that it, transitions work. Hmm. Like life gets us stuck. The transition is how we get unstuck. 90% of the people I spoke to said they got through their difficult time. So whatever it is that you're going through, if you come on this journey with me, you know, I've been where you are and I'm going to introduce you a lot of people who've been in a lot worse and you're going to find people and things that you can do so that whatever you're struggling with and whatever life transition you're going through, we're going to get through it better and more effectively. Like the only way we're going to get through this is together, but we can get through this together. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Bruce, and you wrap that up perfectly. So thank you so much again, and uh, good luck with everything. I wish you the best. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. 
Big thank you to Bruce Feiler for joining me on Be More Well. I had a really great time chatting with him, and I'm sure we're going to have him back on the show at some point in the future. Now, I did mention at the start of this podcast that I've got a three-part series in play here. Episode 17 talked about rethinking success. This episode, as you just heard, we talked about how to handle those life transitions. And in episode 19, we're going to talk about how we look at time. All of these things tie together as we look at planning our future. Thank you so much for taking time to listen today. And please, again, feel free to subscribe to Be More Well and follow us on social media. Talk to you soon.